Amen. Glad that you're here this morning. Now we have had the privilege of the first week of the year to preach on God. And we want you to know God. We want you to know about God. And there was three words, I don't know if you remember, that whenever that word God would be mentioned in the new year, uh, you would say, yes, I, I remember that. And that was, anybody can remember those, those three words? Huh? Anyone? Nowhere? Nothing? No one. All right? Where did God come from? Nowhere. What did he, he create from? Nothing. And who did he create for? No one. Then we preached on the second week on Jesus, the Son of Man. And boy, that he is the, the Lord. He's the, the Messiah. He's the Savior. Amen? And so we enjoyed that. Last week, we began preaching on the Word of God. And so we feel like this year in 2024 that if we can know about God, we can know about the Lord Jesus, and we can know about His Word, we're starting out pretty good. And so we're going to be back on His Word here this morning. And uh, I'd like for you to turn to Acts chapter 11 with me. And we'll begin reading in verse 26. Because this topic this morning is the Word of God, uh, we'll be all over the Word of God and talking about the Word of God. We titled the Holy Bible. And so this is an important uh, part of Christianity or the church today is the Bible, is the Word of God. And we've got to know this morning in 2024, uh, where is the Bible? Who has the Bible? What is the Bible? And is everything the Bible? And so I believe that's important questions here that we need to figure out, not only as a church, but as a Christian. But I believe the world needs to figure it out as well because it has eternal factors. Uh, if you have a Bible that's given of God, then you have a Bible that's of eternity. If you have a Bible that's not of, of God, then you have nothing but man. And we don't want anything that has anything to do with man that will determine our eternity because it would be false and misleading. And so we want to know exactly what and where, who is the Bible. And so we went out, ventured out this morning to do that by the end of today, hopefully uh, that we can be convinced that the Bible, the Holy Bible, is the King James Version Bible. And that's the only Bible that you and I, uh, and whoever believes this, I don't know if you do or not, but this is the Bible in which I preach from. It's the Bible that I study from. It's the Bible that I quote from and the Bible that I meditate upon. And it's the Bible that I memorize. It's the Bible in which I stand. It's the Bible that is the authority. It is the authority for practice. It's the authority for doctrine. It is preserved. And it is the Bible in which I use and I will die using it. Amen. I'm just letting you know my stance. No one will change me. No one will make me different. No one will bring forth anything that will cause me to change my mind. This is the Bible for the English-speaking people, the King James Bible. Now, are there other Bibles out there? Yes. Does a lot of people use different versions of the Bible? Yes. Is all the other versions like the King James Version? No, or be called the King James Version. 
And so all other versions are different than the King James. And so we find that all other versions are different from other versions. And so there is a great complication and even a confusion in the minds of many people today in what Bible or is there a Bible? Uh, is there a Bible that is inspired? Is there a Bible that's preserved? Is there a Bible authorized? Is there a Bible that God has put his name upon? Is there a word out there that you and I can trust in, that we can lean on, that we can find a comfort there, but also find eternity with? And I tell you, there is, and God has made it so. You don't want to miss any of these here this morning or tonight concerning the Bible. If you are one who is a Bible student or a Bible uh, want to know about the Scriptures and these, these things, it ought to be vital within your life because, uh, again, the Bible's out there called Bible, I use that term loosely, uh, is not all the same. And so with that being said this morning, turn to Acts chapter 11. We'll stand to our feet. We'll begin right here in this verse uh, and just make a few comments and then we'll move through the Bible explaining the Bible, the Holy Bible this morning. Here in Acts chapter 11 verse 26, the Bible reads, the Word of God says, And when he found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We are thanking you, Lord, and, and excited about the truth, dear God, in which we have, and God, which we might be able to preach with your help and your strength. God, we're asking for leadership now. We're asking for guidance within our hearts, our lips, our minds, that God, you'll be glorified in all that's said and done this morning. Uh, I just pray, dear God, if the Bible says that faith come by hearing and hearing the word of God, and then the Bible says that by grace through faith are you saved, Father, then we must have a word that is the real word of God that will bring faith into our lives so that we can be saved. And so, God, we're praying today, Lord, you give us the help we need to make, make it understandable. And then, Lord, may we trust in it and love it and obey it. And, dear God, that we follow it as it says for us to follow. Thank you for our visitors today. Thank you for the members. Thank you for all that have come. I pray you bless them, meet their needs, and touch their lives. Lord, I ask you now, Lord, to have your way. Anoint me with your spirit. Guard my lips and fill me with your power in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So how did we get to Antioch? Well, if you don't turn there, but if you'd go back to Acts, you'll find that Jesus told his, his disciples, he told his apostles, he told 120 uh, to go to Jerusalem. And when you get to Jerusalem, we're going to, I'm, the, my father would send forth the Holy Ghost, the Comforter. And uh, Acts chapter 2, sure enough, the Holy Ghost came. When the Holy Ghost came, it's called the Day of Pentecost. And at that period there that now the church has been empowered by the Holy Ghost of God. Now after the Holy Ghost of God has brought empowerment in Acts chapter 2, we find Peter preaching uh, there and we find him preaching in the end of chapter 2 and going into chapter 3. 
We find in Acts chapter 3 that Peter, they asked him, what shall we do then? And he told them to repent and, uh, and to believe and then be baptized. We find that the Bible says uh, there in Acts chapter 3, turn there with me uh, this morning. Uh, the Bible says in verse 41, and they gladly received his word. His word. And so we're talking about the word this morning. And so these people received the word. And when they received the word, the Bible says 3,000 souls were saved. Now the power was in the word. The saving power was the word. Amen. Not what Peter was saying, but the word is what brought 3,000 souls. That's never changed. The word has always been the power. And we find even in the beginning of the New Testament, in the beginning of the church, we find that the word was being preached. We find in verse 42, and they continued. In other words, they're saying that they have and they had but now they're continuing in the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' doctrine is that word. Is that word in which they believed and they believed and they were saved and 3,000 were saved. And so during the period of this early church time, there was the word of God. Right. Amen. And so we know that the Bible you have in your hand was not there in Acts chapter 3. And sometimes, some way that we kind of figure out in our minds that the only way we have the Word of God is when it came in 1611. Like there has never been a Bible prior to 1611. There's never been a Word of God prior to 1611. That's not true. And so we find even right here they are preaching the Word of God and that Word is what's bringing salvation. Now, when you go to... Uh, Acts now, Acts chapter 11, verse 26, we find that Jerusalem, which was the church there in Acts chapter 2, where it was empowered and all that were saved, well, we finally come to Acts chapter 11 and we find and see that the church now has been moved by God to Antioch. Right. And we see that because in that verse that we just read, it says that they assembled there themselves with the church and taught much people. And what were they teaching from? The Word of God, right? The Apostles' Doctrine. And so we find in, 11, Acts, in Acts chapter 11, look in verse 19. It says, now when they were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveling as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but the Jews only. Verse 20, and some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they had come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the Bible says, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and the great number believed and turned unto to the Lord. And so we find here in Antioch, the church was brought forth the Word of God as the Word of God. It was in Acts chapter 2, and they preached the Word of God. The church of Antioch was started now, and many were coming. Matter of fact, it was Paul and Barnabas that came there to begin to teach the Word of God in verse 26. And then we found in chapter 12, and look in verse 24. The Bible says, but the word of God grew and multiplied. 
So not only did the word of God there that was being preached, but it was growing. It was being multiplied. And what I'm saying is this, as God was revealing uh, his word uh, to these men, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we find that as that was given unto them, that it was the original ones that were inspired of God. And then people started making copies of them immediately. And all handwritten copies were being made. And they were being, they were being given away. And they were over here and they were over there. They didn't have a printing press during those days. Everything had to be handwritten. And by being handwritten, it was going all over. So that's why it was growing and multiplying. I want you to notice in chapter 13 in verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. Why would there need to be teachers? Because they're teaching the word of God that God is bringing forth. Amen. We find the word of God in which they're teaching was the Old Testament as well. But also the New Testament, by the way, of growing and being published. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, look in chapter 10 with me in verse 36. The Bible says, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, that would be the Old Testament, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word, what word? That word that was sent to Israel, sent to the children of Israel, you know, which was published. So now there's a publishing going out. People are handwriting these uh, copies of these uh, letters of the Scripture, the Word of God during these days. Manuscripts are being done. And we find that Bible says throughout all Gia begun from Galilee after the baptism that John preached. And Acts chapter 13 and verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Verse 49. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. And so, uh, and you, this is going to make sense to you in a little while, but... but we can honestly say today because of the Word of God that the Word of God was being preached and published from Antioch. That's where it all began, right? Not from Jerusalem, not from Egypt, not from Syria, but from Antioch. All right? And so we got to know that this morning. Where did this Bible come from? Well, it came from Antioch. That's where it came out of. You say, well, sure, there's a lot of processing going on. There was. We're talking about in the very first century, amen. We're talking about the very beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2 and all. It's early, and we're in 2024. Right. A lot of things happened since then, but I just want you to know right off the bat that this is where we can say if I have a King James Version Bible, that that Bible that I have in my hand, if that's what you have, it came from Antioch. That's where it all stemmed from. All right? So we find of the Old Testament, we find of the New Testament as well here this morning. I want you to notice number one this morning, in order for us to appreciate and have this Bible in the right position of our lives, in the right place, in order for us to live for God, for even to be saved and born again today, we got to know of the perfection of the Holy Bible. 
Now this morning, this is a controversial subject, not with me, uh, but with the world today and many church members. Uh, if I would say to you, there's no errors in the King James Version Bible, how would you, how would you feel and what would you say? If I would say to you, there's no contradictions in the King James Version Bible, not one. Uh, it's completely perfect in every way. Uh, there's absolutely nothing in that Bible uh, that you would look at and say, hey, there, here's a problem, here's a controversy, here's an error, there's something about that that's not right. The King James Version Bible wouldn't be that Bible this morning and definitely wouldn't be the Word of God. Would you agree with me? It definitely wouldn't be the Word of God. The perfection of the Holy Bible. If this Bible, called the King James Version Bible, is going to be a Bible of perfection, that means that when God gave forth the Word of God, it had to be perfect. Amen? You can't get perfect out of something out of unperfect. You can't get something clean out of something dirty. And so we find this morning that this Bible, the Word of God in which we call it, is the perfection of the Holy Bible. I hope you believe that this morning. But in in Psalms chapter 19 and verse 7, the Bible says, The law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. You see, the law of the Lord, the Word of God is perfect. It has to be perfect this morning to convert any soul. Anything that's not perfect cannot convert a soul. A soul can only be converted by the power of something that is perfect. Amen. I'm just saying honest truth today that the Word of God is perfect, converting the soul. And all of us that are here this morning, and all of us that are hearing my voice throughout the radio or the internet or sermon audio, the most important part of your body today is your soul. That's the only part of your body that will live for eternity. You'll either die and go to heaven or you'll die and go to hell. It's all depending what you do with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's your soul this morning that you ought to be concerned about, not your body and not your spirit and not all other things that you might think are important. The soul, friend, and only the soul can be converted. And I know the soul has to be converted because the Bible says that the law is perfect converting the soul meaning that your soul must be converted. <laughs> if you're not converted, then you're not saved. If you're not saved, you're going to hell, but it's going to take the perfect law of God that is perfect to convert that soul. So we find the scripture says of itself that it is perfect. Now we say, we say now unto you that word perfect means entire. It means undefiled. It means whole. It means without blemish and without spot. Amen. The only thing this morning that can convert a soul is the perfect law of the Lord, the Bible, the Word of God. Number two, I notice that because you say, well, you're kind of just picking out one thing. You're saying that, that the law of the Lord is perfect, which is the Bible, which is the Word of God. Uh, is anything else perfect? Well, let's look at that. I noticed in the scripture, we'll go quick on this, his work is perfect. Yes, the Lord's work is perfect. Everything he's ever done has been perfect. Yes. 
As a matter of fact, the way that He's created you is perfect. Now we might look at you or you might look at me and say you got some frailties and you got some faults and you got some hang-ups and, and you got some weirdness about you. You know what? Uh, you're, you're just something wrong with you, but I'm telling you right now, the way God made me and the way God made you, amen, He made it perfect. God didn't make trash. God didn't make accidents. God didn't make something deformed. God didn't make something today without what you might think it is. And you might not be able to walk. You might not be able to talk. You might not be able to hear. You might not be able to do this, that, and the other. But if you've been born that way, God was perfect in the way that you were born. Amen. I like that thought. Because when somebody starts complaining about me, I just give them to God. I said, go talk to him. He's the one who made me. Right. Amen. That's the way we find his work is perfect. He said in Deuteronomy 13, 14, he is the rock. His work is perfect. I notice in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 31, the Bible says his way is perfect. And so whatever way, whatever path that God is going and whatever direction he's in and whatever way that he's at this morning is perfect. The Bible says, as for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to them that trust in Him. And thirdly, I notice that His hoe is perfect, meaning Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48 says this, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And not only is His word perfect, and His work is perfect, and His way is perfect, He's perfect. Amen. Talk about the Bible this morning. Number four, I notice his will is perfect. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, the Bible says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's will is perfect. If you're in his will today, you're in the perfect will of God. For that is the very place you want to be. That's the very place he'd have you to be. You're safest there. You're happiest there. Friend, you got everything and anything that God would want you to have. Friend, the will of God, perfect. The way of God, perfect. The work of God, perfect. The word of God, perfect. We find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 10, the uh, Bible says, But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away with. And that's his word this morning that that was talking about and speaking of. I wonder if there any doubt in your mind that the Holy Bible in which you have in your hand is perfect. God is perfect. Jesus is perfect. The Spirit of God is perfect. Perfect. Number two, I notice that the Word not only is perfect, but the Word of God is pure. The Bible says in Psalms 12, 6, that the, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Pure words. The Word of God is clean. The Word of God is clear. The Word of God is purged. The Word of God is tried. It's pure. There's no, there's no stain. Uh, there's nothing within the Word of God that would make it filthy nor dirty or unclean this morning. The Word of God is pure. In Psalms 19.8 it says, The statues of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Pure. 
We find in Psalms 119, 140, the word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Proverbs 35, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. And in James chapter 1, verse 27, there are some other things that the Bible considers pure. Pure religion. Pure religion, the Bible says, and undefiled before God. That's pure. There's some other things that are pure. There's a pure wisdom. The Bible says in James 3.17, but the wisdom from above is first pure. So God's wisdom is pure. The religion of God is pure. But then I notice there's pure Savior. 1 John 3, 3 says, Every man that hath his hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Can I say unto you this morning that the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ is pure? Amen. Pure. The Bible talks about pure gold, a pure gold city and a pure gold street in Revelation that we find, as I wonder, is there any doubt in your mind this morning that the Holy Bible, in which you might be holding here this morning, is not only perfect, but pure? Amen. Number three, I want you to notice that this Holy Bible is placed. The Bible says in Psalms 119, verse 89, O Lord, forever is thy word settled in heaven. You might want to turn there. Psalms 119.89. This might be a verse that you might want to underline. That you might want to highlight. That you might want to know and make it clear. Make it very clear. This morning you have in your hand a word of God. The word of God says of itself this morning that the word is settled in heaven. Wow. What in the world does that mean? Well, that means, in short, that before you got this word, it was already in heaven. Amen. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. That came out in 1611, really 1769. That's the edition all of you have. You don't have no 1611. But you have a 1769 edition, which is just what you have, and with this King James. But anyway, uh, so we, with the Bible saying that this Bible that you would call the Bible that we have, that we look at it and consider it the Bible, uh, it was settled in heaven. Before you received it, it was in heaven. Right. It was in heaven millions of years ago. Millions of years ago. Wherever God, it was in heaven. Amen? Right. When God created heaven and earth, he settled his word in heaven. So I'm saying this morning that this word you have right here is already settled in heaven. That's an important part of what we believe about the word of God. That God has already made determined before it even happened. And friend, that's what he can do because he's God. That this Bible that you might say have mistaken it, you're mistaken because it's settled in heaven. Amen. You say, what's well, written by man? There's nothing in heaven written by man. That's right. You're mistaken twice. Uh -huh. 
You say, well, there's some, there's some controversies in it. There's some confusion with it. Uh, there is some problems with it. No, it's settled in heaven. There's no problems in heaven. There's no uh, confusion in heaven. I'm just saying, the Bible that you have has been placed. That word settled means stationed. It means established. It means appointed. Now, I want you to notice the next portions of this scripture, though. He says, number one, forever is thy word. In other words, this settling in heaven is forever. That word forever means always. It's always been that way. Never a time when this Bible, you might not have had it, and we might not have received it. They might not have gotten it in Acts chapter 2, and they might not have received it back in the Hebrew days, but it was always settled in heaven. That word there, forever, means ancient. It means any time. Past, present, or future. I'm just saying this morning that the Bible, the Word of God in which you hold in your hand this morning is a Bible that's been settled in heaven forever. Forever. We find secondly, settled. It was stationed before the foundation of the world. It was established after the foundation of the world and it is appointed at the foundation of the world. It's settled and where is it settled? In heaven. In heaven. So let's see what might be in heaven along with his word. Well, I thought about a few things. I thought about about, uh, in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 11. I noticed, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above. Well, what I notice what's in heaven is God. Amen. So it just makes sense this morning that his word is there too. Number two, I notice what's in heaven. In Psalms eleven four. the Lord's throne is in heaven. Right. That makes sense to me. The, all of authority, the man who has all power, the man who's the creator of all things, I mean, his throne that rules and reigns is in heaven. I mean, that's pretty good company, don't you think, this morning for the Word of God? The Word of God's by the King, uh, by, the, by the King's throne. The Word of God's right next to God. I mean, listen, I like to be part of that. We think about heaven. Oh, I notice if you turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21 with me. We're talking about heaven here. We're talking about the Word of God already settled in heaven. Revelation chapter 21, verse 27, the Bible says, And there shall no wise enter into it. Now, who is he talking about in the context of the Scripture? Well, we're not going to read it this morning because we're talking about the Bible. But if you read it, you'd understand it's talking about heaven. He says, So there shall in no wise enter into it. Into it, it means heaven. Anything that defileth, neither whatsoever maketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so, can we say this this morning with great confidence and with great boldness this morning uh, that the Holy Bible cannot be three things? This Bible which you have in your hand cannot be three things. Number one, it cannot be defileth. Is that what it says in verse 27? 
And there shall no wise, that word no wise means at any time and every time, no wise shall anything come into, enter into heaven if it defileth. So we understand the Bible, the Word of God's in heaven already, we understand that, but then the Bible says that heaven will have nothing that defileth in it. So we can honestly say the Bible we have in our hand cannot be defiled, meaning it cannot be unclean, it cannot be unholy, and it cannot be undefiled. Amen? That's what the Bible says. Now you might say you got errors in your Bible, and if you got the NIV Bible, you do have errors. It's one big fat error. In any other version you might have, except the King James Version Bible, you can rest assured, friend, uh, that that Bible's not settled in heaven. But I say unto you this morning that the Word of God is a Word of God that's settled in heaven, and there's nothing the Bible says goes into heaven that defileth. So that tells me the Word of God is not defiled. I know I'm making it elementary, but I like elementary. I didn't do very good in elementary. I had to redo the second grade, I think it was. It wasn't my fault. It was the teacher's fault. It was my classmate's fault. It was was the guy across the street from me. It was his fault, too. Anyway, number two, the Bible cannot be defileth, but also according to the Scripture, the Bible cannot work with abomination. That means the Bible cannot be part of an adultery. That's what work of the abomination means. It means adultery. So the Bible this morning can't have anything to do with adultery or be detestable or be something this morning called foul. So you cannot consider the Bible this morning, the the Word of God, to be abominable, uh, full of adultery, or can you say it's detestable, nor can you say it's foul. Because that's not in heaven. Number three, the Bible cannot be maketh a lie. Because nothing in heaven maketh a lie. And we find the Word of God is the one that's already settled in heaven. So that word lie means untruth. It means falsehood or deception. So it is impossible. It's impossible. Never, ever. Will the Word of God, which settled in heaven, ever be deceptive, never be false, never carry forth a lie, and never not tell the truth? Or it won't be in heaven. Uh Am I making sense? The perfection of the Bible, the perfect, pure, Placed word of God, the Holy Bible. Thank God, the perfection of the Holy Bible. Number two, I want you to notice the inspiration of the Holy Bible. Of course, we will find that in 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you turn there with me, we'll just talk about the beginning of that verse it's a well-known verse. It's been told many, many times. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Amen. That might be something you might want to mark down, kind of 
kind of give you an idea where that may be. Jesus told the devil, of all things to tell the devil, he tells the devil by quoting the scripture in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. I'll read it to you this, this morning, talking about the inspiration. He said this, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth. Proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. Proceedeth. That's big. Psalms chapter 119 and verse 160. I'll read it that to you as well. Psalms 119 and 160. The Bible says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. And so what it's saying to you and I this morning is that this Bible is an inspired Word of God. Now the Scriptures is given. If you notice that in verse 16, the Scriptures are given. The Scriptures are not found. Man didn't go out in the world saying, I need to find some Scriptures. I need to find the Word of God. I need to come up with it somehow, some way. Where is God's Word at? I need it. That's not how you got the Word of God. The Word of God was given. The Word of God was a gift. The Word of God, friend, was one that was not created. Man didn't create the Word of God. The Word of God was given. Why would you create something already given? It don't make sense. And so we find that it was not created, it was not found, but it was not formed. There was no Catholic society. There was no Baptist group. Uh, there was no church people that decided that we want a word of God and we formed it up. No, the Bible says all scripture is given. So can we make it clear this morning that all scriptures means any scriptures, means every scriptures, means Old Testament scriptures, means New Testament scriptures. It means from Genesis all the way to Revelation that was given by God. It was a gift of God. And friend, we find that no one and anyone did anything to bring forth the Word of God. The Word of God gave by God. Amen. So what you have in your hand today is something, a gift, given by God. And so we find that all scriptures are given. The scriptures, if you look up the very meaning of that word, means document. It means holy writ. It means the word of God. Notice, secondly, not only the scriptures are given, but that is the product that God gave the scriptures. And he gave all the words. Amen. Can I say this? Uh, those that he gave the words to pin down were not inspired. Uh, the pen that they wrote, the ink that put down the words was not inspired ink. The, the very paper in which was put down as the Bible, as the word of God was given was not inspired paper. What was inspired was the words. That's what's inspired. Okay, let's make that clear. The words are inspired. 
We find not only the product, but we find the producing of the product was the inspiration of God. That word inspiration just means this. It means God breathed out words. In the Old Testament, he breathed out Hebrew words. In the New Testament, he breathed out Greek words. There was some Aramaic there in the Old Testament, just a few verses of Aramaic, but he breathed those out as well. He breathed out words from the breath of God. He said, where did he get it from? He got it from him. He didn't have anybody to counsel him. He didn't have nobody to come and tell him what he should put down or what he ought to put down and what he shouldn't put in the Bible or what he should maybe keep out of the Bible. Oh no, God cannot be counseled this morning. God is God and what God chooses takes place and no man and nothing can stop him, amen? And so when he breathed out the words, there were words that just came and there were God's words. Inspired. That word inspired means breathe, but it also means spoke. God didn't write down the word and then they copied it. God spoke it. Number three, God gave out the words. Turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. These are the ones that he gave the inspiration to. By the way of the word. The Bible says in verse 21 of 2 Peter chapter 1. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You say well, that says prophecy. Yeah but in verse 20 it says knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture. And so we're talking about scripture here. So the scripture. It was inspired. This was the producer moved by the Holy Ghost. They were driven by the Holy Ghost. They were led by the Holy Ghost. And there were, friends, that there were men who came under the influence and the, under the power of the Holy Ghost of God. Right. And friend, God inspired all the scriptures we find in the way of inspiration there were 40 men. You'll find that in your Bible. If you go back and look at all the ones that have, are in the Bible as far as Moses, Joshua, Ezekiel, Isaiah, you'll find 40. 40 only. And these 40 men, the Bible called them holy men, as God would breathe to them and God would speak to them, and the Holy Ghost of God would move them. And they would write exactly what God is saying. He didn't care about their personality. They didn't care about the way that they are. They didn't, he didn't care about uh, how they are. They didn't care about any of that. All he cared about is to pin down the Word of God. Right. And we find that 40 men, not 41, not 39, 40 and it was over a 1,500-year period. And so God was working on the Bible in which you and I have this morning uh, that you and I can say that God's worked for 1,500 years to get you a Bible. Don't that gain some respect towards God? How many people in your life has worked for you for 1,500 years? 
How many people in your life today has done anything for you for 1,500 years? I would think this morning that if I really believed that the Bible was a 1,500-year work of God, it might mean something to me. It might not leave it in the trunk of my car. I might not leave it in the back of my car and allow the sun come and take the cover and make it come up like that. I wouldn't leave it on my desk and put dust on it. I wouldn't put my Coke on it. I wouldn't put my hamburger upon it. Amen? Hey, if that was a 1,500-year work of God, I would think I'd open it up every day. I think I would even start memorizing for what God has done. I begin to obey what He said. I begin to follow all that He demands. I would say unto you, friend, that the Word of God would be near and dear to the heart of a child of God. Amen. Amen. 1,500 years. That's a long time. 1,500 years. From 1,400 B.C. to 45 A.D. Time of Moses to the time of John. He breathed on prophets he breathed on priests. He breathed on tax collectors, on fishermen. He breathed on tent makers and shepherds and physicians. That's who he breathed on. So in him, in God, as he breathed, we find it covered three continents. These men were in three different, uh, three different continents when he spoke to them. They wasn't all in one little room saying, okay, God, I'm next. 1,500-year period, three continents that God was covering. We find it was in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. We find it was 66 books, 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 books in the New Testament. Now, we try to start this at, at Glory Baptist Church, memorizing the books of the Bible. Amen. I will thank that as a Christian this morning, I will thank that you are to know the books of the Bible. Amen. If it, God done something for 1,500 years for us and we can't memorize 66 books, we're pathetic. I mean, somebody needs to slap us around a little bit. Somebody needs to wake us up a little bit. We need to start drinking some dill pickle juice or something like that, amen, to, to get us in the way that, listen, what is it? Do you know the first five books of the New Testament? Do you know the first five books of the Old Testament? If I said, do you know where Obadiah is at? You'd say, yeah, it's in the Bible. <laughs> oh, it's infallible. It's without fail. It is inerrant without error. It's inspired without man. It's not man's will. It's not man's wisdom. It's not man's words. It's not man's works. The Bible, the Word of God, is not only perfection, but it's inspiration. Amen? Thank God for the Word of God. Can I hear bring and I close, I, I do this last point tonight. We'll continue on. Hope you come back to listen to more. And uh, we'll get into the King James here tonight, how that came to be. Uh, how it came all from this. It all started here. We got to go from, one, from A to B. We find the confirmation of the Holy Bible. Jesus confirms the accuracy of the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
Look in Luke with me, Luke chapter 24, and uh, look in verse 27. Luke 24 and verse 27. Jesus is confirming the accuracy of the Old Testament in the New Testament. My, what a wonderful thought that is. It says in verse 27, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus is calling the Old Testament scriptures right here. I hope everybody sees that. Right? All scriptures inspired. So Jesus is saying that everything from Moses and even all the prophets are scriptures. Verse 44, he says, And he said unto them, There are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. And now he brings a third category, the Psalms. Now, if you know anything about Jewish writing, you know anything about the Old Testament, you know anything about what's, how they divide the Old Testament in, into the categories, they always have divided from the very beginning into three categories. Always. They called it the Law of Moses. They called it the Prophets. And they called it the Writings or the Psalms. Well, Jesus covered all 39 books right there in those two verses. According to Jesus, and I seem to want to believe what he has to say, that the scriptures that has been inspired, that was given to holy men and moved by the Holy Ghost of God in the Old Testament are accurate. Because if it wasn't accurate, Jesus wouldn't have said it. But because Jesus said, from the law of Moses and all the prophets into the Psalms of the writings, they all speak of me and their scriptures. So it gives me assurance now the Old Testament is in good shape. Right? It's in good shape. Because the tribe of Aaron and all the scribes of the Hebrews, as God breathed Hebrew out to these men and they pinned down the Hebrew scriptures, immediately all the scribes and all the Aaron the tribes began to copy. And boy, they're particular. Matter of fact, friend, when you find, if you go and look and study up on the Hebrews and the, taking those, those manuscripts and, and they're rewriting them with their hands, friend, I mean, uh, if you go in there and uh, you have a dirty pair of clothes on, man, you've got to go out because you can't write on the Word of God a dirty pair of clothes. If your pen, uh, friend, has something upon it, you've got to throw your pen away. I mean, there is every dot, every jot, every tittle, friend, you'll find is empty. Perfect with the very of the Jewish people of that day. Jesus said, it's perfect. Amen. Or he wouldn't have said it. Because Jesus is perfect. The law of Moses consists Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All the prophets include Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. The Psalms or the writings is Ruth, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Ezra, Job, 
Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Lamentations. Wow. Do you remember when Jesus said about the fulfillment of the Scriptures from the blood of Abel all the way unto the blood of Zechariah? Y'all remember that Scripture? I don't have time to read it there, but I'm just going to hope you remember it. What Jesus was saying at that point, too, is the same thing I'm mentioning here now. Uh, what happened with Abel was Genesis. But what happened with, with the, the, the very blood of Zacharias was in Second Chronicles. If you go and look today, and if you don't believe me, look in Google. Google will always tell you the truth. Uh, you go there and Google and say, how was all the, the 39 uh, books of the Old Testament, how were they arranged and what was their arrangement in writing? And you're going to find this, that the Genesis is book number one and Second Chronicles is book 39. Wow. Now we got them in different order, right? Because we, we put them in English. Uh -huh. But while it was in Hebrew, the order was... Second uh, Chronicles was 39, Genesis was 1, and Jesus is saying that all be fulfilled from Genesis to, to, to Malachi, which was the last book of the Bible, amen? Uh -huh. Which is Second Chronicles. So I say to you, there's clearly, clearly understandable. The Bible says where two or three agree, establishes a matter. Uh -huh. So that's established. Boom. The Old Testament has now been confirmed by Jesus. All 39 books confirmed by Jesus. Number two, the New Testament was confirmed or confirms the Old Testament, Testament accuracy. Talking about accuracy now. Matthew nine times says it is written and he quotes Old Testament. Mark, Mark seven times and he quotes the Old Testament, he says, it is written. Nine times, Luke puts, it is written, and he quotes the Old Testament. One time, John says, it is written, quotes the Old Testament. Five times, Acts says, it is written, quotes the Old Testament. Sixteen times, Romans says, it is written, quotes the Old Testament. Eight times, 1 Corinthians says, it is written, quotes the Old Testament. Two times, 2 Corinthians, it says it's written, quotes the Old Testament. Four times, Galatians says it is written, quotes the Old Testament. One time, Peter says it is written, quotes the Old Testament. Sixty-two times in the New Testament, it's quoting the Old Testament. Exact words. The exact words. We find that 19 of those quotes came out of the law of Moses. 28 of those quotes came out of the prophets. And 15 came out of the writings or the Psalms. 62 total, which was the Hebrew divisions. And thirdly, Jesus confirms the New Testament. Accuracy. Accuracy. John 14, 26. Turn with me there. And I'll and I close on these thoughts here. John 14, 26. Jesus confirms the New Testament accuracy. The Holy Ghost leads. It says, 
but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things. All things, including the Scriptures. Amen? Accuracy. The Holy Ghost of God breathed them in the way of inspiration. And I'm going to tell you right now, we don't have any of those copies. There is no original copies. None. None of the Hebrew, none of the Greek. None. But Jesus said that after that breathing of the Greek, that you will have a Bible, a Word of God, because it's settled in heaven. And how we know it's accurate? Because the Holy Ghost of God will teach you. Number two, you say, how can they remember everything? Well, look at verse 26. And bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you. So everything the Holy Ghost of God has said to those 40 men, the Holy Ghost of God will teach them and remind them. Yeah. Number two, John chapter 16, verse 13. Talking about Jesus confirms the New Testament accuracy. The Bible says, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for, the, for shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever, for whatsoever he shall hear, that he shall speak, but he shall show you things to come. And he shall glorify me, and he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. So what's he going to do? I'm talking about accuracy. Well, the Holy Ghost of God, which is the Spirit of truth, he's going to guide you into all truth. That's how we know that the Word of God is all truth. Because the Spirit of God who breathed into them made sure as He guided them into all truth. Not only did it guide them in all truth, but it showed them all the truth. It did, it, the Holy Ghost of God that breathed out the words or moved by the Holy Ghost of God as God inspired and breathed and spoke the words of God. And then the Holy Ghost of God came to those 40 men and said, okay, now I'm going to guide you and show you in all truth. Thirdly, speak to you in all truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12. Now we have received, and not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Now what did He give us? His Word. Which things also we speak, not in the words which a man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And so what does this mean to you and I? Well, we're going to find that the Spirit of God teaches us the things of God and the truths of God. Amen. Tonight does He lead us, He guides us, but then He teaches us. Right. We can say with confidence... The Scriptures is the Word of God. Old Testament, New Testament. It's been confirmed. It's been confirmed. We find it so clear and so plain in so many places. Can we say, is it right to say this morning before our close that Scriptures, Old and New Testament, are inspired by God? Amen. And they are moved by the Holy Ghost? And so that the Holy Bible today is the word and work of God alone. Amen. 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 One day we're going to be in judgment. 
And what you, guess what you're going to have to give an account for? The Word of God. Did you know that? That one day you've got to stand in judgment of the Word? I'll show it to you. Now I wonder this, as we're sitting here and we're about to go, how is it going with you in God's Word? How is it going? Are you believing it? Are you following it? Are you loving it? Are you reading it? Are you doing it? What are you doing with His Word this morning? I would make choice. Because one day you're going to give an account on God's Word. Let's stand to our feet, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I've tried to help you this morning in the way of the Scripture, of the Word of God, and in the way this morning of perfection of the Holy Bible, inspiration of the Holy Bible. confirmation of the Holy Bible. Tonight, with the help of the Lord, we'll get into the preservation of the Holy Bible. You don't want to miss this tonight. If you have any kind of care and love for the Bible, the King James Bible especially, it'll bless your heart. You've seen, Brother George, if you need to come, you come and say, I just need to be saved, Brother Larry. The Bible says, as a newborn babe, desiring the sincere milk of the Word, Have you ever had a time in your life when you just couldn't help yourself? I just wanted God's Word so bad. I just thirst for it. I hunger for it. And the reason why that that would happen in your life is because you got saved. And the reason why the Word of God can go weeks and days by your life without you opening the Word of it, without you looking upon it, without you obeying it, because you're not born again. The natural man understandeth not the things of God. Neither can he for the discerning. You need to get born again in order to have a love and compassion and followance of the Word of God. This morning, it's not by coincidence that you have nothing to do with the Bible. It's not by coincidence when you walk into the church and you don't bring a Bible. There's something wrong with that. How are you with the Bible this morning? Do you have a relationship with it? Is it something that you're tasting and it's good and boy, you're hungry and thirsting for it? You can't get enough of it. It's just something that, man, I tell you, it just gives me strength and gives me hope and help. The Word of God. Where is it with your life? Are you born again? Are you born again? Are you saved? Your Bible and your relationship with it will tell the story. It'll tell the story. Let's pray. If you have a chance today to come to uh, the nursing home, I'd like for you to come and just be part of that and be a blessing to those people who are forgotten. I hope you never have to go to the nursing home. But if you ever do have to go to a nursing home, I'd hope there's a church out there that might come by and visit with you from time to time and preach to you, sing to you, and just let you know that God's still here. Two o'clock.
Brother Cat's ministry, we want to support that here this morning. If you don't mind, for every woman who's going to be in the nursery, I'd like to have a real quick meeting right after the service right here to the left. And it won't be long. Just want to make a few comments and then we'll go forth. We've got a new schedule starting next Sunday. And we just want to make sure everybody's on the same page. Let's be dismissed with their prayer. Brother George, would you dismiss us this morning? Let's go.